Good evening. I'm Kathleen Neal, and the Pratt Library and its Poetry Programming Group welcomes everyone tonight to Poetry and Conversation, conversation with Eilish Hopper and Melanie Henderson. Um, before we begin, I also just want to mention that we hope you could join us possibly tomorrow night. Um, Baron Wormser will be here, and he'll be reading from and discussing his novel, Teach Us That Peace. Um, also on December 7th, the Pratt will host the, uh, the annual Cave Canem poetry reading, and this year featuring poet Tim Seibels, as well as other Cave Canem poets. Uh, but for tonight, I would like to introduce and welcome Elish Hopper and Melanie Henderson. Um, Melanie Henderson was born and raised in Washington, D.C., and is an alum of Howard and Trinity Universities. Prior to earning an MFA in creative writing from Lesley University in Cambridge, Massachusetts, she studied poetry at the Voices Summer Writing Workshops in San Francisco, California. Her debut collection of poems, Elegies for New York Avenue, won the 2011 Main Street Rag Poetry Book Award. Her poems have appeared in Beltway Poetry Quarterly, Drum Voices Review, Jubilat, Reverie, Torch Tuesday, and Tuesday and Art Project, and The Washington Informer, among numerous others. She participated in Huang's Peace Mural Exhibition in Washington, D.C., was selected as a feature reader for the 2009 Joaquin Miller Cabin Poetry Series, and as a recipient of the 2009 Larry Neal Writers Award from the D.C. Commission on the Arts and Humanities. She received a 2013 Pushcart Prize nomination from Iris G. Press and is the managing editor of Tidal Basson Review. Um, in her collection, Elegies for New York Avenue, Melanie Henderson draws a portrait of community, neighbors, family, and landscape, with language musical and hauntingly exact in the details of life that flow backward to memories and a history revealed as well also concealed by an altar of mementos, a mute tree outside a window, or a porch as a life stage that never does tell. I'm also going to introduce Eilish, um, and then there, and tonight what we're going to do instead of a, um, you know, a traditional reading and followed by questions, um, they're going to do a little poetry dialogue, um, reading poems back and forth and a little conversation about the poems in between as, as it flows. So um, going to introduce Eilish. Eilish Hopper is the author of Dark Sky Society, selected by David St. John as a runner-up for the New Issues Prize and the chapbook Bird in the Head, selected by Jean Valentine for the Center for Book Arts Prize. Individual poems have appeared in journals including Agni, American Poetry Review, Harvard Review, Plowshares, Poetry, and Tidal Bison Review, among other places. She has received support from the Baltimore Commission for the Arts and Humanities, the Maryland State Arts Council, the McDowell Colony, Vermont Studio Center, and Yaddo, and teaches at Goucher College. In her collection, Dark Sky Society, Ms. Hopper's precise clarity of language splices together cinematic images of memories and events, those lost, forgotten, unrecognized, and even uncreated, 
so that our heads may hurt with a memory that helps us see and question who we are. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to Ailish and Melanie to do their thing. <laughs> you want to explain? Um, sure. So thank you all for coming to hear our words. Um, excited to share this table with Ailish, a uh, fellow DCite. <laughs> And um, we hope you learn more about our beloved mm-hmm. hometown, um, the people that are important to us, the history that's important to us, the culture mm-hmm. that's important to us, and also the craft of poetry that is very dear to us. So, mm-hmm. um, If you have any questions after we read a poem or a set of poems, feel free to interject. And, um, of course, at the end of the poem, um, and ask any questions you might have. We're pretty open tonight, so I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. So we, we thought we would start by each reading a poem about D.C. Um, and actually, I think we're each going to read fairly long poems. So At the beginning. So we'll just start by settling into some poetry. And you want to go first? Or sure. I? Yeah. So I'll start off with Elegies for New York Avenue. Um, This is the poem that I always wanted to write about D.C. Mm. Um, I was able to access it through uh, Robert Hayden's Elegies for Paradise Valley, uh, which is a place that is pretty much non-existent at this point in time, but it was very much an important part of his upbringing, the place of his upbringing. So here we go. One, my bedroom's three windows blank out gray rain, seedy asphalt. Theodore rolled at the corner, quick yellow eyes angle morning under his soggy hat. A fieldsman wheels down the street, fades in the light of tobacco rose. Two, no talk of Bearden Park's height, timepieces watching God, in lather of muddy puddles, elders gone, wall holders keeping kinship in wax cups, red-blue waltz of police cars, gravel children in the blur of gin. Three. Theodore lay at the head of the church. His foul-mouth-taunted backyard dogs, itched innards for thick bottles, malt and clean stitch now. The neighbor's 80-proof tears dribble about his mouth's rim. The curb-stolen light. All the summer's heat caught it into a hospital bed and shrunken. How curdled grief, memory, milk pace themselves inaudible. Macabre humor at the, at the mouth of he who knows no labor. To honor a man, once a child of the picking south. Sticks, Linwood, Black, Rick, and smoke got quiet. Leaned in when Daniel, of brief stature and few disabilities, fought his large heart, large heart and tongue. Touched the casket with dignity, sent this neighbor with no family but us back under southern fields. Some green sunshine home, ignorant of his patent curb cutting. Four, 
The preacher boomed us inside old wood walls, walls some haven't seen since Jerry passed. Boomed about family, fold-up chairs on the back of Theo's chair. Neighbors, our family next door. Some blood thick with chatter, pastel Easter Sundays. Little girls with parted ponytails twisted into black shine, white lace. Burnt Avenue sun pressed on. Black pebbles of after-school afternoons and yelps of boys on the verge of Victrola. Smack talking themselves into men. Grandma on the porch keeping time with streetlights. Sugar sponging at day's end. Widening as juice, berry blue, midnight around her baby's mouths. Little Sinclair never left thirsty concrete unquenched wherever he sat. His ashy red shorts saturated in the virtue of his walk. Boomed and boomed and shook our tears out until the number of dinner guests rose from fellowship hugs like possibles in a hand of spades. A five. Where's Mr. George, who molested women from his porch bench? Whiskey-soaked tongue, whispered about pretty titties. Where's Reba, who watched this through the mesh window of their matrimony? Where's Peanut, whose mother's birth walls doomed him to such name fate? His head was so slim. Spectacles barely gripped his ears. Where's Isidore, male angel of the night, who wished for neighborhood girls perfect dresses? Where's Jay? Where's Donnell? Trouble morning shutters, let dead streets swell. Where's Moral Mabel? Where is she who prayed over rosary beads, red as we strung and knotted them on green wax? She who polished jewelry boxes, cherry antiques for little girls. Where's Chatty Jean? Where's Big Nose Tim and his perpetual curse and limp? after a 79 banana yellow Chevy hit him and his bicycle on New Jersey Avenue. Where's Bert? Where's James, whose earnest smile and eyes sang like Michael Jackson at 10? Where's Lonnie? Where's Nell? Trouble morning shutters, let dead streets swell. Six, of murder, of warmness too. A ripe, ripe clank of orange ball bounce. Tattered five gallon buckets. Sticks singing ghosts off of ashy milk crates at corners and medians. I want to remove the wool cloak of cocaine and high winters from their summer backs instead of music, metal cash in their cups. Dimes, nickels, a day of dodging traffic signals. Still, the carryout fills with the cardboard funk of three-week stench. Mumble sauce and fried chicken, coleslaw, reward. Seven. Our parents turned up noses at Jews, really stingy black folks, most not Jewish at all, warned us of eating heavily floured chicken things in Chinatown. Some days, I believe them. Unexpectedly, in the same month, Mama San dies. The old street market collapses under white ice, lays some black drop cloth over the neighborhood. The memory, whiff of livestock rolls under my nose like a heavy Cadillac. Eight, of murder, of warmness, of pitch tar and black, buzz and gossip among us who know. Talking can mean quiet, murmuring to too many can mean longer, lesser nights for few. No wine in our hands, communion, our blood in the vessel. Church doors are closing, ushering us out into presumed daylight. 
unholy congregations on stoops under the steeple. I knew myself a part, a part, and part of them, them whole, holy me, long hugs at the curb. So I think I'm actually going to read one short one and then one medium one. Um, and they both have <clears throat> things in the title that need explaining, not to you and me. But, um, the title of this one references a radio program that originated in D.C. <clears throat> Baltimore's version is called The Quiet Fire um, because the D.C. version, um, everybody started imitating it and so because uh, it was so popular. Um, And also the poem ends with some lines by a song by Roy Ayers. Home of the Quiet Storm. And the epigraph is W-H-U-R-F-M. Sounds like Washington. It does. Yesterday in the alley, a man was found. Hair stringy, matted, hardening in the sun like mud. Where dandelion and burdock rise, fill empty yards, and bind the wheels of soundless cars. Spilling from a pile of plastic bags, his body's a waste, my neighbor says, of a perfectly good white boy. But today, in the shade, young men buff and gloss, All around cicada song, in waves the way a breeze might come, high-pitched wail that almost drowns the radio, just bees and things and flowers. This poem's title um, refers to Pierre L'Enfant, who I say in my best imitation French accent, um, is the person who uh, designed the layout of D.C. And to me, growing up, he was, it was just a name on the subway. But I remember proper people, like teachers, seemed to hold him in very high regard for some reason. And when I started writing poems about D.C., I poked around a little bit in what don't I know about D.C., So I read um, Walt Whitman's Specimen Days, which is an amazing book about um, what was happening in D.C. at the end of the Civil War. And I poked around a little bit into um, L'Enfant. And one of the things that L'Enfant did, or wanted to do for D.C., was to make um, D.C. the new uh, center of all the maps. So he wanted all the maps, you know how uh, longitude and latitude are listed as two numbers. He wanted D.C. to be like the center of all of these things and to be this new example of what things can be. So the title of this is Four at Zero Zero. On 16th, the police again, hands on their nines, elbows cocked. Some knucklehead, says one tired God who must always deal with mortals' errors, ignored the signs, walking the banks l'enfant traversed, envisioning a city new, holy. At the corner, boys play buckets, 
beats conjuring, soldiers sleeping, footprints while on them drips the rain. In the phosphorus present, shared seam, I ride knees against a motorbike's cool steel. Through, they forever try, said the traders, to destroy themselves. Through hilltops, families who've made it, i.e. away. Through every thought, this one into two made that one. Through the dead bodies seem in the heat to move. Through even the dream. Maps new center, zero, zero. No battle, yet not mustered out of service, not free, but at least set loose. I split lanes like all the rest, glide through dark, taillights burning in humid air. This next poem I'm going to read is called On Theodoric C. James's Porch. Theodoric C. James, he worked um, during the administration of 10 different presidents, and he died in squalor uh, without much recognition. He witnessed amazing things in the White House, but his life came down to his end was very pitiful and sad and and awful. And I read about this one day in the newspaper and I, it just, I couldn't shake it. Mm-hmm. So this poem is the result of that. Life stage, wood platform for conversation, rocking chair, observation. The porch hosts the business of living all its old glorious gradations of purity and filth. Bucket of shit, but never does tell. Though windows break bare their cavernous glass soles to every passing wind. Though the white cover of paint peels its lips in due time, the red roof flaps its shutters and the blue door takes the bribe of keys. The porch is ever faithful through decades, terms of ever-changing company. Planks distinguish grandfather from robber by rhythm of footsteps alone, weighted under the voluntary cloak of neighborly briefings and debriefings. The porch guards even the infidelity of green green trees. Its splinters swell in the warm duty. I wonder, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about how DC comes into our poems and um, why, if we even can answer that question. I don't really know that we, poets really choose our subjects. Maybe they choose us, but, and also 
choices? I'd love to, you know, know from you, like, what were some of the choices you made? Were the things you didn't write about, you know? Well, one of the, after the book was finished, I did an interview. And the interviewer um, almost imposed the D.C. experience on me or what she thought the D.C. experience was. And I'm not easily offended, but I was offended uh, because of I grew up in the 80s, and D.C. has a certain rep, uh, a reputation around the 80s of um, a lot of drugs, violence. Um, and not that that wasn't true for parts of D.C., but that wasn't my memory. That wasn't my upbringing. I was always surrounded by family. Um, I could have been in the middle of a war zone, and I would have never known. So it's important for me to share those, to share those mem- memories that are specific to me. That's some, you know, the violence and the drugs that somebody else's book of poems mm-hmm. to write. So, um, so that it's not really in my book. So, um, for me, the poems about DC are about preservation and giving you the whole round the other side that you might not know the intimate details that um, I have had the benefit of, of experiencing growing up. And uh, with DC, it's changing so rapidly. Like I could, I'm I'm on one avenue one one day, and the next week I don't recognize mm-hmm. the street, the same avenue. Um, so it's kind of disorienting right now. It's a disorienting reality to to be a DC resident right now. Um, but the book for me, you know, it kind of grounds me into, you know, the the history, the memory, um, what's what's important to me and my family. Um, and I and I like to share that with people that are sort of new to the area um, or who have a different view of D.C., to share that part of it with them, too, because I was very much um, protected. Now, it's, you know, as I'm older now, I know a lot of things that did happen, and some of them I saw, but I didn't necessarily understand what was taking place. So it's important for me to include those things in my poem. What would you say are some of the choices you made in making your poems? Like, um, I was noticing in Elegies, that section where you have the repeated question, where mm-hmm. is, where is? Yeah, that's sort of like a, a roll call. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, uh, that's sort of the call and response that's um, characteristic of go-go music. Uh, you know the the lead talker, the lead speaker. They they yell out a question to uh, a, a, an explanation to the crowd, and the crowd responds. And so, in the book, it's more of like a um, a call and response between myself and the people that were uh, a part of my upbringing that aren't there anymore. And they're not responding, of course, but <laughs> you know, it's kind of summoning them back into. I'm the present. One of my some of my favorite poems in your book are the go-go poems. Okay, actually, um, yeah. Um, I think I think about like um, it's funny you you began your story by talking about the person imposing their DC on mm-hmm. you, you know. And I I feel like when I was writing these poems, I was 
also imagining like a made-up DC that a reader that a made-up reader might have, and that I wanted to insert what my actual experience was mm -hmm. too. Um, but I feel like um, for me it was complicated by race, for one thing, especially because mm -hmm. that's one of the things I wanted to address. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we were growing up, it was Chocolate City, mm -hmm. not anymore. But um, right. So what does that mean in terms of walking around in the city, or what does that mean in terms of the feel of the city? Um, and I only have one go-go poem, partly because that felt that didn't feel authentic to. I couldn't find ways in. I found one way in, but other ones I couldn't find ways in. Were there anything, any parts of your experience in DC where you felt like you couldn't find a way in? Like maybe in the newer poems you are. Or? Well, it's funny that you call them go-go poems because I. When I write them, I don't see them as necessarily go-go yeah. poems, but it's sort of like it's the rhythm of the city. So, you know, it's it's it a part is. of you. So um, I don't necessarily sit down to write a musical poem. I might write the, the poems that I consider go-go poems are about, they take place in a go-go, and I'm observing the go-go or right. telling you about the go-go. But, right. um, but as far as the music, you know, I, I hope I... I hope that comes across. Um, and um, I did have a question for you. It was in the poem about St. Elizabeth. Oh, yeah. And that St. Elizabeth was always the sort of forbidden space. Like, you cannot go into St. Elizabeth. Yeah. Um, if you were caught in St. Elizabeth, you would be promptly arrested. Um, and it seems you have a more intimate relationship with that. Mm -hmm. Could you talk about it? Because that's, that's insight I don't have. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know if, if you all know, St. Elizabeth's an yeah, a institution in, in D.C., a mental institution. It's closed now. Um, but my dad was there when I was, when I was young. From when I was like two, I would say, till I was probably seven or eight. And um, then he was in a different place. I was out in Virginia. So... That was, you know, I was there a lot visiting him. Um, and, but I also wanted to include it in the book because St. Elizabeth's is also where Ezra Pound was. I mean, it has this sort of literary history. And then a lot of the American modernist poets, there were a lot of poets <laughs> writing in the 60s, who's, like famous poets who spent a lot of time in institutions. So mm -hmm. it actually is kind of, I feel, felt like I was gesturing, and the epigraph to that particular poem is, is from Robert Lowell, who also spent some time in a mental institution. Um, so I was kind of using my dad as a literary figure, in a way. And, and in a way, he operates in the book as a symbol. Um, and for me, for me, growing up in D.C. and moving between white worlds and black worlds and seeing, especially in white worlds, how kind of um, unfathomable black worlds were. Um, and I, I, there's a kind of sanity that you have when you're young. You know, I, I, when you're a teenager, I mean, there's a kind of insanity you have when you're a teenager too, but I really vividly remember looking around at the adults and being like, you know, listening to them talk craziness um, in terms of not understanding each other. And looking around and thinking, like, really? This is the best you can do? This is the world you're creating? Is this crazy? Um, so St. Elizabeth, for me, kind of functions as a, a larger metaphor for, I think, how our society functions. You know, that I think 
I think the way race functions is really as a form of insanity, basically. So, but it's actually the title of that poem, View of the Capital from St. Louis, you can't actually really see the Capitol that well from St. Louis. Right, I made right, that up. But right. <laughs> yeah. What if I read a poem? Well, maybe I'll read that poem, actually. Okay. So this is um, View of the Capitol from St. Elizabeth's, and the epigraph is from Robert Lowell. Space is nearer. Dream city, I climb an eyelid's molten curve, Drop into a mouth cavernous, burnished aluminum teeth pressed to the small of my back. However cold the skin, it is a thrill to touch man awakening while we scale his face and hands. Capital city will vaporize if the bomb comes, say the grainy films radiant with aftermaths, implicit, handed down, like the length and shape of fingers, color of my eyes. City of windows, rhetorical, cemented in, the view from St. Elizabeth's, where my dad fills notebooks, blue ballpoint, slanted shapes, whose meanings have all peeled away. Doder, doder, he says, eyebrows raised, another thread I hold, not knowing what it leads to. City of memorials, mute white facades, granite pantomiming loss, after the bomb, They'll all vanish, gone. Lincoln's marble hands that drape colossal armrests. Missing, chiseled wave of hair laid across his forehead. We cannot hallow this ground. The new absence might, like Lincoln, say, or perhaps begin again. Thank you. I forgot to mention the, the sculpture. The Awakening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, sculpt- a sculpture down at, um, is it West Potomac? It's called Haynes Point um, by the locals. I don't think it's there anymore, is it's it? It's gone. They moved it, right? Um, about... Five years ago, when they built the National Harbor, it was moved over to. It was moved somewhere. Yeah, yeah, it was somewhere. moved over to to Maryland, and that's another one of those very DC things that are that are gone now. Um, as kids, you could kind of just climb. It's a, it was a figure of a of a, a man. It's just his head. It was just his head and his hand, and he's kind of it's situated like on the edge of the water. So it's like he's in the ground in the water trying to come up like this. And so the kids kind of scale his hands and stand in his mouth, and and it's, it's, it's gone now. So, you know, this is why 
you know, poems like mm -hmm. A-Lishes are really important to, um, yeah, uh, it's important to preserve because that, that DC is, it's, well, that DC is gone, but <laughs> it's still fading. So it's really, these poems are really, when I read that, I just got warm. Whenever I got warm because I remember being there and, and sitting in the awakenings in the man's mouth. And, you know. I so. wonder, too, though, um, I don't, I'm sure I went to it, like, as a teenager, mm -hmm. but I remember being in it as a kid, mm -hmm. and I actually wonder if it's really that big, you know, how when you're a kid. It seemed huge, mm -hmm. but I wonder if it's really, it's pretty big. It's though. pretty They're big. Tall. Yeah, like, it's big. Yeah. Yeah, it's too big. high to climb on, like, that way up on the, in the mm -hmm. hand. Um, it also talks about um, the bomb, and I don't know if you remember, obviously that is like something that comes up in music a lot, but also I just remember in the 80s, you know, there was all this talk about, you know, this was the Cold War, and there was all this threat of like nuclear annihilation, and hearing like, I remember hearing from grown-ups, well, it's okay because we're in D.C., which is like, Definitely going to get bombed and going to be the center of it. And the way nuclear bombs work is you'll just we'll get gone. vaporized. Right. So it's cool, you know. Not good, but you don't even have to bother with the duck and cover thing. You just like you're gone. And I just remember being a child and trying to wrap my mind around that. And then again, thinking like, well, hold up. You want to talk to me and all my friends about working it out and sharing and all that kind of stuff, but then you're going to tell me that the U.S. and Russia like can't agree, you know. They can't work it out about bombs, which seems sort of obvious to a child. Yeah, Gordon Parks, he has a, a series of photographs, and it was the Frederick Douglass um, projects, and um, they're very old. And there's pictures of these little boys that were in that neighborhood with uh, Junior Warden armbands on their arm. That's, but the kids, like, really, there's still a bunch of joy in the kids' faces, even though they've been trained to respond accordingly, they're just kids, and they're they're no more than ten, mm -hmm. and they're playing in the water sprinklers. And so, if you have a chance, that's on the they're on the Library of Congress's mm -hmm. um, website, and you can look at you can kind of scale through the images. I think they're called. I know it's based in Anacostia, but I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the pictures. But yeah, they're interesting. Mm -hmm. They're really good pictures mm -hmm. and amazing. I hope to mm. <laughs> order a couple one day. So. So, I wonder if we should open it up for some questions, and then sure. if not, we can. I have a question. Let me correct this by saying I'm also a native Washingtonian from the city of North Cleveland, Brook. I moved up here more in 1996 uh, so I could get more ways to vote and so forth. Which brings up this question. Home, D.C. is run by what we call home rule. It's unlike any other city, besides being the nation's capital, it is a city does not have any direct representation in time with large accounts as Norton. Mm -hmm. uh, right, Holmes Norton. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel like growing in a city where it's taxation without representation? Like I experienced. Now I can guess that I was able to vote for a congressperson and uh, a senator and everybody else in Maryland. But this is different. So how did you feel like growing up when you were able to vote, not having a whole lot of selection, as I say? Well, yesterday was the first time I voted reluctantly um, in D.C. And, um, I mean, culturally, you know, you're black. You have to vote. Mm -hmm. People died so you can vote. So you go vote, period. Um, yesterday was the first time that I really did not want to vote. Mm -hmm. But I did on the, <laughs> on the just 
just based on history alone, I had to go vote. Um, but, you know, every chance I, I got, I, when I said I voted, I said taxation without representation. No, you won't change my, you know, the bumper sticker. That needs to be there. That's an ongoing issue, and, and Eleanor Holmes Norton is still pushing that very much. But growing up, you don't really know anything different because if you, that's, that's just been mm-hmm. what you learn. And then you grow up and you're like, hey, this doesn't really count. Mm-hmm. It doesn't count. And um, I just find that amazing that even today in 2014, there's a city full of taxpaying, working adults that have, that are essentially silenced. And I have, I just, I can't understand how that's, how that's even legal. I can um, understand. Okay. I think that the every time there are more white people moving into that city, the city gets that much closer to having representation. I think that the the practice of not having D.C. have a vote benefits somebody and something. But when I was growing up, I didn't question it either because it was just like what it is. It's like the subway. Mm-hmm. And there are more white people moving in all the time right. with yes, money absolutely. Absolutely. and connections and squeaky wheels. And But, you know, there's always been a lot of squeaky wheels. So you have to have the right kind of bike. Other questions? Yeah, I have a question. Thank you very much. First of all, it's beautiful hearing you. D.C. is a segregated city, and many of us know that, which is why it's wonderful to see you representing a confluence of cultures um, by way of race. Where do you see the city going in terms of healing that cultural divide, or do you? I don't see it healing. I see it um, getting, I see the, the wound getting bloodier and, and deeper, um, to be honest. Um, a lot of the people that I grew up with are not in D.C. anymore. They might um, be in the surrounding, they might be in the suburbs of, you know, of D.C. Um, I've been fortunate, and most of my family have been fortunate to still be there. And, and benefit from some of the changes, and some of the changes are welcome. Um, but what I find problematic is that a lot of the changes, I, it's, it's hard for me to get kind of excited about it because it, it, I honestly, I know in my heart that it's not a change that was meant for, you know, my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and my family has been there for about four or five generations. So we've been through the, you know, all the different stages, and I can't, I, the changes are just so drastic, even just in the past year alone. Things are just changing so rapidly, and I don't see that healing. I see it just changing. It's almost like being stomped on, and so you, you, you kind of try to stay afloat uh, with the changes, and, you know, honestly, you know, I sort of stick my heels in because I don't. I'm. I sort of refuse to be displaced. So it's a battle in itself. So. 
Yeah, I'm equally pessimistic, but I'm an exile in Baltimore. Um, I left D.C. in 96. Um, I mean, it's about race and power in terms of, and you know, and money is power. And so ask, asking myself, am I optimistic about the city, is me asking myself, am I optimistic about white power or privileged people uh, not acting like colonialists, taking over and appropriating stuff, and I'm not really optimistic about that. That doesn't mean I don't think there are people and projects doing good work, but um, but in general, we don't have a lot in this country to really challenge the culture of greed, and the culture of greed is poison to the culture of community and family. And so it doesn't mean we can't have nice stuff and have eat good food and all that kind of stuff, but it's like how it's held. It really is a culture of greed. So as a country, I mean, I think D.C. in many ways is just sort of like a classic example of what's happening in the country. Right. Thank you. in um, discussing how D.C. has evolved and so forth. How has the public library over there been evolving and fitting in you know, with the developments you talk about? Mm. We've gotten several new uh, state-of-the-art libraries now in D.C. So again, that's a benefit. <laughs> There's a number of um, new, nice, shiny facilities um, programs, regular programs at the library, so that's a plus. The library system is thriving. <laughs> so that's always excellent, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Other questions? Um, I, in reading your poem, both of um, your books and collections, um, I, memory and that sense of either, you know, actual memories or a, a sense that maybe there were some memories that were, haven't even been possibly examined or released. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel that, that the memories and a lot of it tied to race and culture and how do you feel that that is, um, well, not only intrinsic to your poetry but also to, you know, perhaps how it could change or how people, if they receive that and, and acknowledge those memories, how that can... Um, I wonder if we could answer with a poem and then talking about it. Does okay. that, any yeah, poem it's a kind come? of a large, it's a, question. It's very relevant to a whole lot of our work. Does the poem come to mind to you? Um, yeah, I'm going to read a poem called Bones. Um, this is, there was a discovery of, of bones in Georgetown. DC in about September of 2011, and um, it was determined that the bones were of were a, belonged to a person or people of African descent in Georgetown. Um, and I'll read the poem, and we'll talk about it later. Okay. Uh, bone work. Bobcat. Crash into my skull. Crack open earth and eat out the crime. Dig in with fat metal teeth. Scoop out land dismemberment. History covered over with gardens. New bricks. 
Sky blue paint, black about the panes. Call the police, the examiner. Confirm no foul play. Archaeologist, dig me out bone by bone. Mandible, some ribs, joints. Hurry them here. There is work to be done. The construction team is here with hands on their hips, strong hats about their heads. Hurry, hurry, remove the skeletons, the boom crack of ghosts. Rive open the dirt and our bones. Take what you will. Orchestra, lay me at the fall line. I will be more everlasting than boat, vessel, or memory. You will know my music when you go to forget me. My buried bone will rumble baritone at the shovel's kick. My band, the rivers flow against uphill rock. Nostalgia. It's not any different than Southwest Washington or any other old black hood. Georgetown is marble and brick over blood and bone. The tragedy is not its newness or even its color. It's a failure of courtesy not to speak to us. Ghost on lamppost, right brown shoes sturdy on left knees, elbows propping up hatted heads from the chin. It's a failure to remember we built those old rock churches and monuments. Those houses crumbled to erect condos that block out light. Take off your hat when entering this city. There are spirits around you. Excavating spirits. Five wooden coffins with African jaws inside do not make a sound. An article in the post, a brief halt. Our numbers too weak to matter. Our tenure trivial to the home improvement at shovel. Will not bother our cousins won't dare rouse the bodies of the Manhattan 400 to void south. Teach you to let us be. Let our bones lay, prayed over and untouched. Do not examine our features for cataloging, nor to determine how best we be used in service of a city that would rather forget us. Or should I read one and then we'll both talk about memory? You can go. Okay. Um, the other thing um, about growing up in D.C. for me is the fact that my mom is uh, not from America. And um, she came to the U.S. from Ireland when she was in her 20s. And um, her mom lived with us. And um, my mom was a single parent and so like inside my house with her and her mom was sort of Ireland and then outside the house was DC um, and so I feel like there's something about uh, and Ireland of course is a partitioned country so there's northern you know and everything was always like are you them or are you them so there's a lot of similarity to the color line in DC so I feel like my ear was kind of tuned in some ways um, but I, I did get to um, go back home with her. She didn't become a citizen until I was in middle school. And um, I did go home with her a bunch of times um, to Ireland. And this is, um, this is uh, memory there. But for me, 
it kind of all bleeds together. And the title is um, something that, if you know music, you'll recognize it from musical scores, although it actually refers to music that's handed down by ear. It's called Trad. The fiddler starts with three sharp notes, and then the illin player moves the C, breathes into bellows, elbows squeeze, as a wave unfolds in me, my son beside me watching as I watched mother, grandmother, uncles, around the eyes, the jaw, same brimming cup, same dam of words twigs in flow, the past, a river moving through meadows made night damp, into here, this room, moist with heat, insects flood the light bulb, where my uncle says he's back there with each sudden noise, cannot stand small talk, wants a table peopled with empty pints, wants the old songs to keep away the sight, an infant girl rolled by a soldier's boot face up. Yet where else is time than in song's hidden cells? A man's tapping foot, a woman's voice lifts, Go. Okay. So, um, bones, uh, it feels like one of those, a lot of times when I write, it's, uh, I feel like a lot of times it's not for me. It's not, when I used to write when I was younger, I would write poems for me to kind of discover myself. That's, you know, how people usually do start off, you mm-hmm. know. And um, now I find that I write a lot less often. But when I do write, I'm really compelled by some kind of like mm-hmm. the, the inspiration is very um, is very organic, mm-hmm. and I have like a sort of a visceral response to something. So the the poem bones, it's just this feeling like again with the city changing so much, it's like okay, well, you know, it's a feeling of like ghosts. A lot of people refer to DC as like um, almost like a ghost town, mm-hmm. like a, it was there, now it isn't. You know, so it's for people that are that have been there forever, and they come or they go away, and they come back. They're kind of like, well, okay, where is that? Where was that? Where did that go? So it's very disorienting, and so it's kind of like I imagine, you know, all of the old residents just kind of around, just watching all of this, mm-hmm. and. Um, some are kind of just, and, and I, I see them as very not, you know, goo, like ghouly or anything, just, yeah. <laughs> just alive and just kind of there, just watching all of this happening. And it's like, hi, we're here, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, respect that we're here. We're mm-hmm. we're here. I see you, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know that can be kind of spooky, but I feel like that those those people want you to want you to see them and respect, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, the the land that you're on, the the, the history that's there. So. That's where that poem um, came from, and yeah. 
I kind of read them and I'm kind of done with it after that because I kind of like, okay, breathe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and breathe. But there's there's memory, there's a lot of memory in, in this book anyway, it feels like. And there's also some time travel too because I feel like there's the past and the present kind of happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I do find that I do reach, I, I reach back a lot more now to uh, family history because that's what I know. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of history, you know, in D.C., but family history, because um, there's a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. our own family mysteries that we, you know, we want answers to and questions, still a lot of things to figure out, but um, I kind of build on those stories and imagine them, how they lived. Mm-hmm. Like for like nowadays, uh, U Street is like, you know, cultural center D.C., and um, looking back into family records, you know, the same place where I'm, you know, where I am all the time, where I used to be when I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where my grandmother inhabited. Like, she was there all the time and when she was younger. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's kind of like things coming almost full circle and looking at, you know, articles and seeing write-ups about grandma. And, you know, it's, it's, wow. it's a whole world that happened that's different than what we know today. Right. And it's just like, you know, how dare we not acknowledge that time and just kind of you know bulldoze it and put a condo on it right it's it just feels extremely just disrespectful so yeah that's that's mostly where I come from nowadays in in my work yeah yeah um my newer stuff isn't so much about memory but this book definitely definitely is and um and that poem that I read um is about the way that I see memory handed down in families. I mean, I, I really, I feel like we can look at within our own families. I mean, like my dad used to always take my hand to his and say, same hands. And and that struck me as like this metaphor for, you know, there's sort of, sort of genetic passing down. And then in families, there's the stories, like the mm-hmm. stories that everybody tells, the stories that nobody tells. Mm-hmm. And there's little things like, there's family resemblances physically, but there's also like, you know, I'll think about like one of my cousins who just had this personality. He was like kind of eccentric, or whatever, but it made sense within our family because we had an uncle that was kind of that way too. And just, he's just sort of like Uncle Jimmy. And mm-hmm. so within the family sort of universe, there's its own sanity and logic. But then I feel like that also can come out to the city or to the country and think about the ways that things get passed down and what doesn't get talked about and how we resemble one another and, and those kind of same kinds of things. So, um, and I wanted to include, there's, there's only two poems actually about Ireland in the book, but I wanted to include them because I knew that, especially as a white woman writing about race in the city, that the poems were gonna get read in a particular way. And I really wanted the Ireland poems to kind of disrupt that a little bit. That I'm really trying to tell a human story and not to take mm-hmm. away from the mm-hmm. realities of D.C., but that putting the two side by side might have people see patterns across those is what I was hoping for. I have a question. Um, thank you very much. I have a question because um, a lot of our questions are sitting at first in a lot of different categories. Uh, but Washington has the diplomatic international community mentioned that I have and do you get a chance, you know, you see people coming in from all the embassies, you know, Embassy Road on Massachusetts mm-hmm. Avenue. Mm-hmm. They, the world comes to Washington, mm-hmm. particularly. Mm-hmm. But how does that, um, 
So how do you be, you know, see people coming and mingling? Mm -hmm. They don't often, they only see the glitter and, you know, diplomatic mm -hmm. work. They don't see the rest of Washington. Right. If right. you had the opportunity to show them what's in the nearby neighborhoods, where would you take them hmm. if they're willing to go? That's a wonderful, I love that question. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that question is in this cover, in this mm -hmm. cover. This is a, a painting um, by a good friend of mine. His name is Felix Osuchiku. And um, if you have a chance to look at it, there's a lot of busyness going on in this, in this painting. But in the background is the Capitol. Everybody sees the Capitol, but in this painting, you can see it, but it's not that important to the picture because mm -hmm. all the living, all the real living is going on mm -hmm. around the Capitol. The, the Capitol is just sort of a marker for the people that are from there, that live there, that the Capitol doesn't mean it's just a building you see going down, you know, New Jersey Avenue or, you know, one of the Capitol streets. You see this, you see the building there. But for the world, that's, you know, it's the monuments, it's the hard, you know, Hard granite buildings, the 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 door columns, and you know, just the, all these big structures, these big, massive, powerful-looking structures. Mm -hmm. And um, to answer your question, I would probably take them to one of my favorite places, which is the Arboretum. Mm -hmm. I love um, And when people, I take a lot of pictures at the Arboretum, mm -hmm. and and people are like, "Well, where are you?" I'm like, "I'm at the Arboretum. Where is that in DC? Where is that in DC?" <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's like. That's not in DC. Yes, it is. So it's a lot of um, it's a lot of beauty in DC outside of the monuments. Um, there's a garden in in Kenilworth um, in Northeast, or actually is in, I think it's on the line between North. Yeah, it's Northeast, and it's full of lotus and lilies. You know, it's it's gorgeous. There's so many, there's so many, you know, benefits of living here, including the international community like my like um <laughs> I went out into this weekend I went to the Amish market in in Limit in Leonardtown and I was just kind of you know I was interacting and not interacting with the Amish women and I initially I was just kind of like okay she's looking at me but she's not talking at talking to me mm -hmm. <laughs> and I said okay I have to kind of check myself because it's a it's a cultural difference mm -hmm. and I just thought back to how fortunate I am just just coming up the you know difference is the norm in dc mm. and um so yeah there's a lot of there's been a lot of benefits just to who mm -hmm. just to who how you grow up in dc it's a good a lot of people say they wouldn't raise their kids here it's a great place to to raise a child because um <laughs> you're just exposed to mm -hmm. everything so you just have to kind of keep your, your child in line of course but there's so many things you have the benefit of so many different cultures it's all here and it's very urban and in the next breath it's very mm -hmm. you know it's kind of country a little bit mm -hmm. you know it's it's kind of it has a small town feel sometimes so um but again that's changing it's yeah. it's more um new york these days so but yeah arboretum would be yeah. my first place to take someone i don't i mean i just feel like i don't know the city i still when i when I come up on that 14th Street intersection now with that big Bed Bath & Beyond, it's like, and I'm generally at night, it's at night, I'm like coming from dinner or something like that. And, and the first thing that comes to my mind is like Babylon. It's just like this yeah. huge lit sign, you know, three floors above, that kind of stuff. But, but yeah, I think 
there, there are so many green spaces. I always think about Rock Creek Park or, or any mm-hmm. of those parts, definitely. Um, yeah. But I don't feel like I'm an expert. I mean, I, all the places that I knew are gone, really. I would say, like, the restaurants I would take them to, the blocks where people hang out, all those places are gone. Yeah, and growing up there, because I know that there's such this, you know, it's sort of a duality. There's this and there's, you know, there's the very formal government and then there's the the people so it kind of colors how I travel like when I travel I don't want to see the popular spots I want to go mm-hmm. where the people are because I feel like that's how you get to find out what the the particular place is about so it's good to look up the you know mm-hmm. the the focal points or the places that the city wants you to see but usually that's not where the treasure is yeah when you go when you travel so mm-hmm. It's, you know, I always ask somebody, well, where's, where would you go? Where do you, <laughs> yeah. where, do, where do you hang out? You know, mm-hmm. so, yeah. Any other questions? Um, I have another question about kind of like memory and like the passing of time. But um, I guess, because, you know, like as time passes, like, it kind of tints and shades um, your memory. Mm-hmm. That you really look at, at something that you feel about something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess my question would be, how do you think um, the years passing affected the poems? So like, if you wrote the poems, if you try to write these poems five years ago or shortly after events happened, um, how different do you think they would be? Or, you know, the title poem, Elegies for New York Avenue, it was definitely completely inspired. I had to sit down and it just, it came. It's one of those poems that just came. And, you know, I, had, I think my son was three or four at the time. And I had to say, okay, no, I'm, I'm writing this, <laughs> I'm writing this poem. It all, I'm writing it, I have to. So, yeah. So, um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of hard to write about a place when you're in the place. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little bit too dynamic. Because it's you know it keeps just keeps changing so so this poem either would have been written or it wouldn't have been written like right now if I sat down to write this I I don't it wouldn't be the same poem um, yeah I don't it just probably wouldn't exist period I don't yeah think. I feel like poems come out of a poet the same way like. When you taste a vegetable, you don't realize it, but you actually taste the soil that it's coming from, you know what I mean? And every place on the earth is really different in that way. And, you know, two human bodies can address the same topic and come up with really different poems, but even the same human body, a couple years from now, on Mm -hmm. different soil, and it's going to be a different poem. The same Mm -hmm. topic, I might even be engaging the same question, but so much more goes into it. And there's definitely things I relate, like there are things in here that, um, I could only have written with either time having passed, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, uh, the first poem in the book is about watching um, the rebellion or riot that happened after um, the police officer who beat Rodney King um, was let off. Um, so the L.A. riots, people call them. And at the time, I don't think I could have, I also was very young at the time, so I don't know that at 20 I could have had the kind of complexity of understanding to address it but certainly when I took it up again in my 30s um, 
I was, I think, a richer human being, so I could understand the richness in it. And poetry has to have some kind of ambiguity in it. Like, it's not propaganda. It's not history. It's something else. It's, some, it's got to be lyrical, some kind of song that really is of its own mm -hmm. that we just hear and put on the page. So, um, yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if I could have written about D.C. if I was still living there. I wonder. <laughs> it's a different city, so, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. You, you need a little space from it. Um, I've, I wrote a lot of these in, in, in Boston. Oh, interesting. So huh. <laughs> you kind of have to get away from it to kind of be able to kind of look back and get the yeah. bigger picture of it. So, um, but yeah, I noticed it's, I, I, I was excited about this reading because um, we're from the same place mm -hmm. and we're telling a lot of, you know, it's, it's, it's basically what I learned about writing. In order to make it more universal, mm -hmm. you get really personal. Mm -hmm. So in order for it to explode, you, you, it's all in the detail. Mm -hmm. So when you were saying, you know, talking about um, the Irish household, yeah. that's personal for you. Mm -hmm. But it's still very D.C. Yeah. You know, so um, there's so many similarities in our work. Mm -hmm. Even though this is actually our first time really having mm -hmm. a chance to um, talk about the work and yeah. poetry or DC period, yeah, yeah. so but the the work sort of yeah. pulled us to this space. So it's I'm curious too about where your work intersects with like ancestor poets and influences, and whether we have any. I wonder if we have any in common. Um, my favorite is probably Lucille Clifton. Okay. Um, Number one, she looked like my grandma a little bit. <laughs> she, yeah, she looks like my grandmother a little bit, and she's also, um, she, she, she's very. Um, her lines are always very like taut, very small, mm -hmm. but they're huge <laughs> in impact. So she's sort of um, the poet I like to model. She's, she's my, she's my, my. She's she, yeah, she's on the, the pedestal for okay. me because it's, it's just very, very small. It could be like all of five lines and it's just kind of like oh my goodness I have to sit here for a second and, and process so she's a mm -hmm. a, a huge um, not necessarily a model but somebody I really whose work I really admire the style is different but very um, just using as few words as possible to say to get the maximum effect yeah. Cut out, cut out all the fat, and get to the, get to it. Yeah, she can have a poem that's like that big, that gets at the kernel of something as big as like history. I think you know what I mean. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. I often will say to, to if I meet a young poet, I'll say, "Who are your people?" Meaning your poets. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Your village. Because I feel like we have, they're like family. You <laughs> know right, what I mean? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, her poems can just like explode a room, like just or just like silence. Everybody. I think my my favorite poem by her is "Cruelty." So if you have a chance to mm. look at "Cruelty," you can you know just be prepared to kind of sit still after you read it. Okay. That's all. So. Yours? I don't know. I um. I don't know if I can say that there's one poet. Um, working on these poems. Um, 
when I was writing the poems, that I have a, a book before this one that was that are all poems about my dad, and and when I was working on those poems, because he um, had something called aphasia, so he would only speak in like one or two word phrases, so it was like charades, just communicating with him, and I was. I really wanted to figure out a way to put into poetry what happens outside of language. You know, like what would happen, what was happening between us. And so mm-hmm. I was really influenced by a lot of poetry that was really minimal in that way. And Lucille Clifton was definitely one. Mm-hmm. A lot of Chinese and Japanese poets that were doing a lot with images, especially. But like Lucille's work, it's like it just packs this wallop, you know, mm-hmm. into something that. It's very human, just deeply human. Mm-hmm. And then, the, but the, with this work, I really wanted to test the reader a little bit more. <laughs> I mm-hmm. might be actually be putting it nicely for what I wanted to kind of do with the reader. And um, and I didn't really have a lot of models in American poets. For I mean, there are some amazing ones. I mean, Adrian Rich, Jean Jordan, Audre Lorde are mm-hmm. you know there as like my mama poets are protecting me. I feel mm-hmm. like <laughs> Alice Walker to some extent, but she's not really influenced on me in poetry. But I felt like they had my back mm-hmm. or maybe had my front. Right. But I wasn't necessarily formally influenced by some of the choices they were making. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the Eastern European poets, so a lot of Polish poets and um, Russian poets, and but the Poles in particular because. There's this generation that we're writing mm-hmm. after the Second World War, people who lived under totalitarianism, who were silenced. Like their language was taken from them because their language was turned into this mm-hmm. doublespeak, this BS. So they could have just given up, but they didn't. And they came to poetry, you know, after the Holocaust, after so many atrocities. And there's this, it's not just. Oh, these bad people! Oh, yeah. this sad thing. Full of humanity. There's, yeah, there's Still joy. There's even humanity. humor, you know. Mm-hmm. And so there are these poems that even that like reference the abyss and also like love. And mm-hmm. so that those were things that I was watching. And I I often feel still because a lot of American poets don't read poets from other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, I still feel like they're like my secret you know, superheroes. Yeah, that's a secret society, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some Shimborska. Shimborska, and, um, yeah, you're nodding your head, you read them too. Yeah, they, no, yeah. yeah. It's, it's the humanity of, it's the humanity of the work yeah. that, that pulls you to it. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, I personally don't have the, <laughs> the, the life experiences mm-hmm. that they, mm-hmm. you know, that they went through, but, I mean, humanity is humanity, so, you know, a human wrote it, mm-hmm. a human's reading it, and it's, it's, um, you know, it's touching ground. So, yeah. yeah. She also, in particular, because she's a woman poet, and she writes these poems that a lot of Americans would find a little like didactic, meaning they're trying to teach you something. And I think it's kind of interesting in American poetry the way poets are accused of being political or didactic. And in other countries, a poet is expected mm-hmm. to be that way. A poet is expected to be deeply subversive. That this is an art. That speaks from the conscience, you know. I mean, I speak, speaking to DC's history is an act of conscience, communal conscience as well as the individual. But in the U.S., mm-hmm. you're very likely to get critiqued as like, oh, that's theme poetry or right. that's political right. poetry or that kind of stuff as a way of kind of cutting the legs out from under your viability as art as opposed to like message. And I just don't agree with that. So I, you know, I felt like she in particular was a really great. She won a Nobel Prize. So I could be like, how bad could it be? <laughs> right. You know? right. Yeah. Any other questions? Are we about out of time? 
question. Mm -hmm. I noticed this Purple City. I noticed Purple City, but this I got to ask because I haven't I haven't heard of it. I haven't really talked to anybody in Washington. We have a football team in Washington, and there's a controversy over the name. What have you been hearing about? Is most of the people live in Washington for against it, or what have you heard? I got to hear from really from the forces that are in D.C., not from what's on the radio. Um, I think I think it's kind of split. Um, some people feel really loyal and attached to the name. I guess for history, um, I myself, <laughs> I feel like if a group is expressing that they are offended by a name, it should not be that hard to let it go. Um, if they, if, 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 I can't say for that group how that word mm -hmm. makes them feel. I don't have the attachment to the word. Um, I just have the historical attachment to it. But for that particular group, they're saying this is offensive. It's time to move on to something else. I think we have a responsibility to respect that. So, um, so if a group is saying this feels and sounds and has the effect of a slur, change it. Change it. That's that's my feeling on it. But you do have a a large group of um, people of residents that are strongly attached to 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 the the team's the team's name. So um, I think it's pretty split. Probably split down the middle. Um, and I don't see I don't see any um, lightening of the usage either. Um, even though it's a controversy right now, and people are still yelling head to, hell to the you know hell to the Redskins. They're, they're yelling that left and right. So it's a it's sort of like a thing to that's you know it's a part of the city's culture. So I guess that's why a lot of people don't want to let it go. But we were able to let go of Washington Bullets because of its attachment to you know violence in the city's history of you know gun violence. So we let that go, and we came up with something a lot more boring with the Wizards, but we let it go because we understood the moral ground for for changing it. So, you know, I, I think this probably has just as much, if not more, if not more, you know, reason or cause to, to change it. Just change it. Don't offend an entire group of people. Just just let it go. Let it go. So, but, yeah, it's pretty probably split. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot of people I wonder what holding the, on to it. I wonder what the age demographics is. Is it older folk holding on, or is it younger football enthusiasts? Like, who's the? It's it's, it's across the it's board. Just, yeah, it's across the board. Um, either people care about it or they don't. Yeah, and or some people are used to it and they're just like, no, why change it? This has been here forever, you know. Yeah, <laughs> there's other words that have been used forever, but you're not supposed to use. Right. You know, so <laughs> let let it go. Yeah, so. Sure. Sure. Hmm. Um, yeah, so this poem, uh, this poem is a, um, I started thinking about, um, how um, the color line lives in codes, um, and that same in in Ireland, same thing. Like it's all about what codes, how you know who's on what side, and that kind of thing. And then that got me really thinking about like 
syllables, like are there white syllables and black syllables and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, so I started just sort of taking apart um, everything, poems, songs, speeches, words. And um, so I did a series of poems that kind of play around with rearranging them. And this one is one of those rearranging poems. Um, so there's a bunch of lines in here that you might recognize if you are a P-Funk fan or if you um, ever heard uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. This is called Dream, Technodifficult. I want you to follow me through here. So wide. They said don't come there. You can't get around it. But I am here. So high. They said there is no here. You can't get over it. But I have been there. So low. There. There. You can't get under it. I may not get here. Our only guide. But look there, the groove. Here you are. To begin at the beginning. And we are not from this place, we know. The snow doesn't fall in January. The gum of July doesn't stick to the blood in our skin. And we are not from this place, we know. The rows of dependent houses, liberated by separating hues of a president. My alarm clock's muteness is temporary, its arteries a blazing blue. It's 7.59, and we are not from this place we know. How to begin at the beginning, when a high school is just a high school, and our rhythm is not smart, and we are not from this place we know. The vacant eyes of our streets Pots in the pavement sing. From this place we are from, we know. Thank you both so much. This has been a really great evening. I think everybody here, I mean, it just... And it will be podcast, so if you wanted to go back and listen, it'll be on our website, so... Um, and I think it definitely would be wonderful to re- listen again to every to this conversation. Um, what do I need to say now, Shailene, about the ending? Oh, we have our just little housekeeping things. In the back, I think it's on the back table there, um, there are evaluation forms, and that just kind of helps us and, you know, get an idea of, you know, how much everybody enjoyed the program, and um, we pass that along so that it can help us do things better, you know, different, whatever it is that you feel. Um, And also we have an email list at the back um, for future poetry programs specifically if you want to get notification of anything that's coming up. Um, And again, we have the things I mentioned earlier coming up, but there's more workshops, et cetera, that will be coming up next year. So um, please, you know, we'd welcome you to do that. And thank you again and give a hand to Ailish and Melanie for a wonderful Really, really, I mean, wonderful evening. Thank Thank you you so much.